Well, welcome back as we're in Ephesians chapter 1, part 2, as we're going to be observing verses 15 to 23. Uh, we just started the book of Ephesians, and um, in the previous chapter, in the first half of chapter 1, we observed something very special. And that, that something very special was that of, of a spiritual or a, de, a divine adoption in what Paul the Apostle was making known that we were to our Lord and Savior. You know, God, God had a plan from the get-go. God had chosen the nation of Israel, this, this tiny little country about the size of New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, to be chosen as his nation and to be chosen as his people. And, and within time, through them, as, as that light, as that example, and, and through the coming of Christ and through the apostles, in which Paul the apostle was a, an apostle to those of the Gentiles, was making known that there was a special divine adoption. That, that we would be a part of God's grace and a part of God's kingdom. And so that we would be having these things by the acceptance of our Lord and Savior who died for us on the cross. And when you know the life of the Apostle Paul, you almost have to see that God has a sense of humor because Paul was one of the ultimate Jews of the Jews, okay? He was an enforcer of the law. And he would basically... He would, he would enforce the law, but he got to the point to where he was having Christians arrested and killed for their belief. Now, as a Jew, you had nothing to do with Gentiles. And for those who were Jewish that converted to followers of Christ, they were more, more or less considered Jewish apostates and, and, and traitors, and, and they would be put to death. So who does Paul become? He becomes also a speaker to the, to his fellow uh, Judaizers, if you will, his fellow Jewish man. But he becomes an apostle to the Gentiles of who he would have nothing to do with, and and that is God for you. He 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 takes us, and he deals with us in in the most harshest of areas uh, at times. When we have problems with certain types of people, who, did God, who do you think God will put you with? He's going to put you with those people to basically mold and shape you. And, and so it was, a, it was a really wonderful chapter, the, the first half, because I, I had to split it in half because each chapter has two very distinctive um, exhortations and teachings to them, and I found I found it fitting to cut them in half so that way I could give as much as I can uh, in each of those chapters to divide them on what it is that that he's trying to say. Because again, there's just so much, and there's just so many things that that we don't want to miss out on. And and what a neat thing to know that that we have an inheritance, that we have a blessing, that we have a place in the kingdom of God, and that we too were grafted. That we were grafted into that blessing, if you will. Grafted into the redemption, the forgiveness. And as Paul said in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, that, that um, the forgiveness of the sins that were according to the riches of, of His grace. And so praise God for the riches of His grace, because we get to be a part of that. And so, with that, we're going to be looking at the, the second half. In the second half, we're going to be looking at in the aspects of praying for spiritual wisdom. And so now that we've been made known that we've had the adoption, 
in, in that we were adopted as heirs, if you will, heirs of the throne, if you will. Now comes a time and a place for spiritual wisdom through that. Because you don't want to you don't want to be in a family and then be doing all the wrong things. You don't want to be adopted into a family and, and, and to be brought in with open arms and, and, and to have been cleaned up from the mess that you lived in when you were taken into a new place, into a new life, into a new home. And then to be going back out into the streets and into the mud, if you will. Now there has to be a training period of, of things on what to be and how to be. So we're going to take a look here in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start off in verses 15 to 16. And he says, Therefore... I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he says, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he speaks first on the faith of the saints. And then he says that I'm not ceasing to give thanks for one another. And then praying for one another, which is the model of a true relationship. You know, when you're in that family, when you're in that church family, that is what we are called to do. That's what Paul is teaching us to do. The, the one who was basically a divider of, of, of Jew and Gentile. <clears throat> a divider of, of, of law keeper to Christian, if you will. Is now, is now an advocate of unity. See, leaders were not just... Uh, they were not called just to preach to the flock, but to pray with and for the flock. Now we have faith and faith and love. What they are is evidence of our walk with God, because Paul was there to present a model of Christ. And so, how neat is that 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 a person like Paul, who did what he did and who who he was, who he was, is now a, a role model in the image of Christ. A role model of the one who, who basically he despised in the teachings of and, and would have nothing to do with it. See, the more you know someone or walk with someone, the more like them that you can become. It's funny, you know, my dad always used to say, tell me who you're hanging out with and I'll tell you where you'll be in about five years. In in my youth, I used to think to myself, like, okay, well, how could you know such a thing? You know, I'm hanging out with so-and-so. Where am I going to be, huh? Well, see, here's the thing. God knows where we're going to be. But I understand what my dad was saying, because when you blatantly know the type of people that you associate with, you can get an understanding of where you might end up somewhere down the line, because there's two types in the world. There's builders and destroyers. And as I said, the more you know someone or walk with someone, the more like them you can become because they can influence you. And, and, and that's where I understood where my dad was coming from. And I understand that because it's a biblical thing, because the Bible teaches us not to be unequally yoked. It says not to, to uh, partake in certain company. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, there are many Proverbs of wisdom that teaches to stay clear of certain people, of certain women and certain men, because of what they can do and the influence that they have on people. Are they building or are they destroying? See, that's the question that we have to look at at times. That's the question we have to look at in ourselves or those who we associate with. 
Are, are they builders or destroyers? Are they givers? Are they takers? Are they, um, <clears throat> do they love me for who I am or are they loving me for what I can do? And, and when we look at that of our Lord and Savior, that personal knowledge of the Lord, and, and the experience with Him, okay, the experience we have with Him is the way that we can change our lives. And, and reading about Him in the Gospels is best because John, in his book, said that He was the Word in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. But then we also take a look at John the Baptist. <laughs> Right? John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb. And John the Baptist was, was technically related to Jesus as a cousin. And what John was, was making known about himself, John the Baptist that is, was making known that, look, all I am is a voice. But what he is, is he's the word. He took the, the words from like John the Apostle. I'm, the, I'm a voice, but he is the word. The word of God. And so how important it is to recognize those things. So let's continue here in verses 17 and 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? <clears throat> now, what I love about Ephesians is the reminder of something that we all like to hear. And we all like to hear that there's an inheritance. But not of something of an object or money, but an internal, an eternal inheritance first. But in that, the inheritance comes from the wisdom and knowledge of Him. You know, I want to divide wisdom and knowledge, or uh, intelligence. Intelligence or knowledge is great, but intelligence is like a cistern or, or, or a water tower. It's there, and it can hold it. But wisdom is like a flowing river. It's moving along and it's going somewhere it's sup- it, that it's supposed to be. Because wisdom allows us to do the same. I've known intelligent people, but not wise. And they've never gone anywhere in life. But the eyes of your understanding, Paul says in verse 18, what are the things that your eyes have seen is the question. Well, hopefully first and foremost, through the lens of Christ himself. But what is the hope of your calling? Now, I have a few, but the ones in the, the ones in the same as all of us are are uh, bringing people to the Lord and equipping the saints, bringing people into a relationship with the Lord and equipping the saints because as a pastor teacher, I've uh, I've always seen the verse in my head of Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 which speaks to me as from God himself said that my people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. <clears throat> yes, from true theological knowledge, but also perishing from not knowing the Lord intimately. Knowing him better than your closest friend on earth or your parents even. E- exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul received that and he experienced that. See, he's bringing this to us, not just as something for us to read and and, and to wish for, but bringing it to us so that we can experience and, and, and have that adoption experience that Paul got. 
he brought it to us because it was not to be held to himself like a cistern of water for for himself, but written to us to re- to release like the flowing river that all would want to drink from. Um, I, I will quote from one of the greatest preachers from the 1800s, uh, Charles Spurgeon, <clears throat> who said, "Many Christians do not know this power, or they only know it from a distance." God wants resurrection life to be real in the life of the believer. The very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness, to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness, to raise the Sadducee from his unbelief. Now, why he said that was because, again, the Pharisee, which is what Paul was, was, again, very known for being self-righteous. That, uh, the Pharisees also was a name that meant uh, set apart. But the Sadducees, what they were, were they were the caretakers of the temple when it was around before 70 AD. They did not believe in the afterlife, the Sadducees. They didn't believe in heaven or an afterlife. And that is why Spurgeon mentioned their disbelief. The Pharisees thought they were spiritually above everybody. But the Sadducees were in a whole different realm. So Spurgeon kind of made known here something about them because Paul writes this to keep from the people of Ephesus to not get caught up in the mindset that is so easy to do when some stray away from the truth, which is in Christ. Now let's take a look here at verse 20 to 21. Which he worked in Christ when he raised uh, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So I I break these down to elaborate these small verses because it's kind of like a deli tray uh, with things on it that we don't want to miss out on. Because each thing that is taken has a flavor and it also has a health benefit in each couple verses that we want to chew on for a while. Paul reminds us of who it is that we worship and follow. So for for a couple of chapters in the book of Job, God spoke to Job personally, and he reminded Job of who he is. I I will read some of of what God said. Uh, The first one I want to go to is in Job chapter 38. Uh, verses 1 through 7, and it says, And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now, I also want to take a look at uh, Job 39. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let's also do verse uh, 25 through 29 in this same chapter. He says, And who has divided a channel for the overflowing water, or a path for the thunderbolt, to cause it to rain on on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste, and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father? 
or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose, wo- from whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven? Who gives it birth? Now I want to take a look at what he said, what God says in, in chapter 39, verse 1 through 4. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down. They bring forth their young. They deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy. They grow strong with grain. They depart and do not return to them. You know, we fear things in life. And the list can be long. We fear nuclear devices. Yet God can defuse them if he chooses. Well, we fear harsh people, yet God can and has done a work in them. What is reminded is nothing is unknown, unseen, or unheard by him. We cannot answer why, why God allows certain things to happen and why he fixes certain things as well. But yet, we don't always question human leadership, though. Out of fear, we don't always question it out of, out of trust. But, but we do with God, and Paul reminds us that we should always put trust on the one who sits on the eternal throne. One of the most important things to see is something we can lose when, when things are difficult. I have been reminded through preachers. I've learned from mentors that have taught me and from personal experience and that it is simply to praise him. How do I do that? You sing and worship. You can pray without ceasing. Fellowship with believers. Uh, Being in church with the assembly. Just stay close. Because he says that draw near to me and I will draw near to you is what the Lord says. And so we want to make sure that we have that, that ability to draw near. You know, it's amazing, you know, if you know the book of Job, as I, I read the words of God, these were the words of God that, jo, that God spoke to Job. And Job was one of the most righteous men of his area during this time. And he was put through the test like no other. He lost everything. He lost his children, ten of them, and, you know, when the house collapsed on him. He lost his wealth because he was, the, he was the most wealthiest man in the valley. He lost everything he had, and his health was deteriorating. And his wife even came to the point and said, just curse God and die and get it over with. I can't see. It was like she couldn't stand to see him like this in this state. And he says, I will not do that. You, you sound like those foolish women, he said. And he just said, you know, I will not curse God. And I thought to myself, well, that there is, is about as, as faithful as you can get. That no matter what you do to me, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to love you and, and I'm going to continue to follow you, Lord. Isn't that something? And that's what Paul's kind of bringing to light here. And I use that example from, from Job because I wanted us to hear the actual words of God himself and what he said in his power and, and, and that of his knowledge. Now in verse 22 to 23, which will end... Or uh, yeah, it'll basically end this uh, um, section here. Now <clears throat> it says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to to be head over all things to the church. 
which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So again, I break these down to elaborate these small verses because it, it, it just really gives so much. All things are under the Lord Christ Jesus. His death and his resurrection proved his authority. The fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, Do we show the fullness of Christ in our spirit or only in our status or our possessions? One of the first things here on earth that we should show, that should show, is that, that fulfillment is the church. Just because this was the letter to the Ephesians, it, it is important to remember that, that these are addressed to the churches of all as a whole. Not, as a, not a person in general, but the body, the family. Now, I've mentioned the seven churches before in the book of Revelation. They were addressed individually by what they were doing or what they were lacking in. But in a whole, they were to meet the same, they were to meet on the same straight path that the Lord had designed. And I will explain a few things about those churches. The church we're reading about right now was one of those churches, the, the, the church of Ephesus. You know, the Lord said that I'm going to take your lampstand because there were seven lampstands that was the representation of these seven churches that, that he was referring to. I'm going to take away your, your lampstand because you have lost your first love. Who was that? Christ Jesus. That was a very dangerous thing to be in that spot. You, you did not want to be there. Ephesus was losing its first love. And then we had the church of Smyrna. You know, the church of Smyrna was doing pretty good, right? But they, they were, uh, Smyrna means bitter. They were the bitter church and they were going to suffer from some, from a lot of persecution and they did. They did. Five years, five or six years after that, that was written, they, they suffered a major, uh, uh catastrophe in, in, in a, uh, in a murder spree, if you will. Millions were killed in the area. And then we had, of course, oh gosh, the Church of Pergamos. That's where, that's where it said that Satan's throne was set up in that area. It was like the pagan capital of the area, which was a horrible place to be. Um, we also had, let's see, the, the Church of Sardis. Oh, it said that the uh, that you all look you all look dead, but uh, or I'm sorry, you all look alive, but you're dead. Well, what does that mean? It basically means that they had a lot of irons in the fire, but none of them were coming out hot. They they were doing everything to look spiritually alive, but the inside they were dead. They'd lost their sense of love, their sense of worship, but they were doing all these activities, if you will, to make themselves look like a typical church. Then you had my favorite, Philadelphia, which was basically the church where uh, the church where you'd want to be, and that's uh, not Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, but in over there located in, the, in Asia Minor of Turkey, not far from Ephesus. They were doing everything good there, a missionary church, a church that was loving with one another in the Word of God and prayer, housing missionaries, doing many wonderful things. That was the church that God said, I'm giving you the keys of David. That's a good thing. <laughs> and so, just to give you some examples of, of these, these churches that he was speaking to, they all had something going on. But he also gave them, not just the solemn warnings, but he also gave them a reward to look at. If you persevere, 
if you persevere, you will receive this. And this was even given to the church of Pergamos. If you persevere from from the place where Satan's throne is, because probably somewhere in there, there had to have been a few that were probably persevering. But he gave the option, if you persevere, you will, you will basically receive this, and you could go and look at those gifts. You will give, you'll be given, uh, in one case, you will be given a, a white stone, which a white stone back in these days was like an invitation to, to, a, to an important gathering. You will get something in the form of a reward. King David said it best in Psalm 23, right? He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he himself could attest to that of, of leadership and dependency because he was a shepherd. He was a war leader. He was a king. Yet, what made him one of the greatest kings and leaders or shepherds was his dependency on the Lord. Because the, the, the image of the body is what shows the church's unity in each member working together for the function of the body for the glory of God. And, and as we looked at David in that aspect, he was doing all of that. He was, he was that part of that great image and, and that of a working member of the functioning of the body, if you will. See, the quality of life for the sheep depended on the diligent care for the, uh, of the shepherd. And David and many others got to brag about that in their relationship with the Lord. I am so well taken care of, what could I want? His son Solomon uh, said that in one of my favorite proverbs, you know, always be diligent to know the condition of your flocks and attend to your herds. See, the Lord is doing just that. <clears throat> but we have a responsibility too, and that is to call out to Him and to stay close to Him. We don't want to be in that position of, of where are you, Lord? It's not Him that disappears. We're the ones who stray away. We're the ones who stray away, but you know, but to receive him, to receive him as Lord and Savior, I will, I will continue to repeat that that many love the Savior factor, but they don't want him as Lord. That's where the that's where the dangers come in. We you know we want to we, we want to do our own thing, and we and that's when we end up getting lost. We want him to save us, but we don't want him to be to be Lord over our lives, and that's a dangerous thing. And so he 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 must be Lord over us because without it, we'll always be lost. We will always be lost. We will always feel lost if he is not the Lord of our lives, if he's not the guide that, that, that shepherds our lives, like David made known. I encourage you to read Psalm 23. Read it daily as a reminder. Because David really made known who God was to him. In, 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 the, in Jesus, he, he could be the same thing to you. Is he your shepherd? Do you want him to be your shepherd? <laughs> Do you want to receive him as that? See, shepherds had their flocks. They didn't just go and they didn't just go and and, and and run and just you know try to help everyone else's sheep and stuff like that. They 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 tended to the ones that were of them. And see, God is big enough for every one of us to be in His flock. But a lot of people want 
they want to be fed from time to time. They want to be helped from time to time, but then they want to wander back off. And that's not where God wants us. And that's what some sheep would do is they would do just that. They would they would receive their, you know, their feedings if you will and they would get comforted but then they would keep straying away. Well, that, that's not what God calls us to do. If you feel led that that you want to be in the sheepfold, if you want to be right there with the Lord who saved you from your sins, who wants who wants you with him and has a place for you in heaven and his kingdom. There is a way to receive that, and that is through a simple prayer of receiving Him as your Lord and your Savior and your Father. So if you feel led, I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity now to say a prayer with me. If you want to repeat this prayer, you can. And and, and mean it in your heart, because you're receiving Him right now as your Lord and your Savior. So if you feel led, repeat after me, Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner, Lord. And I ask of you to wash me of my sins. I ask of you to cleanse me of all of my sins. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me, Lord. As Lord, as I now receive you as my Lord and my Savior, I receive you as my Father, Lord. And I ask of you to walk with me, Lord, all the days of my life, Lord. That I might draw near to you always, Father, Lord. And that we will always be together as I thank you for having me, Lord. And may you always, Lord, be Lord of my life. So I thank you and I praise you. I love you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I certainly hope you said that prayer because, again, there's decisions we make in life. And not every decision is a good one. But this one here is definitely the best decision anyone could ever make. So I want to welcome you into the kingdom of the Lord. I want to welcome you into the family. Because he's been waiting for you. They've been rooting for you up there. (laughs) And now that you've received him, there's a big celebration going on up there. The Bible says that anybody who comes to the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. So know that, that you're being rejoiced over. And and that you will be up there too one day, rejoicing as well with everyone that receives our Lord and Savior. God bless you and keep you always.